If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. It's time to get inside the Giants' home. Let's go, let's go, let's go. On Giants.com. I like it, I like it, I like it. And the Giants mobile app. Give me some juice. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's roll. Welcome to another edition of the Giants Little Podcast, brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the New York Giants. My name is John Schmelk. Our usual Friday podcast coming your way. We're going to do our usual Friday preview with John Keim. That's going to be with Lance Meadow. Bob Papa talks to the coach of the Giants, Brian Dable. But we're going to lead off with my interview with the Giants starting center, rookie John Michael Schmitz. And now we're joined by Giants center, John Michael Schmitz. John, I always like to, to start with this for rookies. We're about halfway through the year now. I know you missed some time due to injury. Do you still feel like a rookie? Or, or have you kind of moved past that in, in your head? Um, I, I wouldn't say it's... Uh... Uh, kind of that's what my thought process is. I mean, uh, I said you're still a rookie for uh, uh, at least one season and three games. So um, <laughs> at least that's how uh, uh, the guys are uh, treating you and all that. But uh, but none of respect for uh, the room that I have. Uh, I'm very grateful to have the, the guys uh, in there leading me, helping me out along with the process. So appreciate those guys. I know it's probably hard to put like your finger on it exactly, but – what are some of the things and the most important things you think you've learned since you've gotten here into the NFL? Um, honestly, uh, I would just say the uh, – sorry. No, that's okay. Thinking. Yeah, I know. I, no, I can I'm edit. just thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, can you just ask again? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's just redo that one. And I prefaced it purposely that way. Yeah. So I know it's hard to put a finger on it. You know, you've gone through so much. What are some of the things, the most important things you think you've learned about playing center in the NFL since you got here back in May? Yeah, honestly, uh, um, it being early in my career, uh, playing center, uh, understand that you're going to make a mistake. Um, that, that's the biggest thing. That's the first thing that uh, everyone's uh, told me, and um, uh, especially Bobby, uh, uh, Bobby Johnson, yep. and uh, just the older guys in our room just helping me out in the, uh, when I mess up and uh, letting me know, like, all right, this is how you should think. Um, and honestly, at the end of the day, just not get frustrated with it uh, and just keep moving on and have that next play mentality that Coach Dable always talks about. And so, yeah. With your personality type, is that tough or easy? Because I know me, when I make a mistake in my job, I – beat the hell out of myself I get really mad I get frustrated but you know you got to get right back there and do the next play so is, is that an easy thing for you with your personality or is it hard um a little bit of both um but at the end of the day you gotta let it go you gotta um just um kind of throw it out there and um be ready for the next play but like what we talk about you gotta flush it 
and mm-hmm. move on. So, yeah. So you've had Ben Bredesen here since you've been here. He's played some center. He came in and played center after you got hurt. Uh, and then now Justin Pugh's come since. You have other veterans in the room too. What are some of the things that they've really, you think, helped you with that's helped you progress over the course of your rookie season? I would say, uh, I mean, those are like tremendous guys in the room to have, especially leadership-wise and um, uh, just guys you want by your side when you're, when you're out there for battle. Uh, I would say definitely just getting a routine down. Uh, helping me out, figure that out. I mean, it was early on in the season, just uh, what uh, what I should do for recovery this day, uh, how to um, not how to study, but like just tips and uh, uh, more information of like sure. what I should be looking at, and uh, just my thought process through it, and what days I need to be doing a little bit more, a little bit of less, and uh, yeah. So just kind of, I would say definitely your routine uh, and how it uh, how you think about it. How have they helped you? making calls on the field in terms of protections because the whole coaching staff has raved to me about what a smart player you are. But I'm sure you're seeing formations and things teams are doing on defense in the NFL that you didn't see even in your six years right in college and you had so many snaps playing center. So what are the mechanics and how do guys like Pew and Bredesen having them on either side of you these last couple games, how are they helping you do some of that pre-snap stuff to make sure everything is set up for, especially a rookie quarterback like Tommy DeVito that doesn't have a ton of experience like a Tyrod, like a Daniel? Yeah, I would just say our coaches do a tremendous job putting us in the best position possible um, and getting me ready to make the right call. Um, and you know what? I mean, it's just like having another center out there with Bob or with Ben Bredersen. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's been uh, tremendous uh, uh, to me. And um, just even on the sidelines, like, hey, what are we thinking here? Or like going back and forth, especially with uh, with Bobby as well making sure we're on the same page, we're seeing it the same way, and uh, we're, we're five playing as one. How many snaps did you take with Tommy in the summer? Because you were mostly with the ones and twos, right? So I imagine you probably didn't get a ton of snaps with him, right? Yeah, probably a little bit in rookie minicamp, but um, um, for the most part, I, I, I couldn't tell you. I really don't know. So how has that been, trying to kind of get used to another quarterback now and just kind yeah. of working those mechanics and, and your communication between the two of you pre-snap? Yeah, um, I mean, Tommy's been great to work with. Uh, he comes uh, uh, comes uh, this facility each and every day, uh, has, and has a great mindset to get better. And uh, he knows he's gonna make mistakes. He's a rookie, like we just talked about. He's gonna make mistakes, but uh, he has the right mindset to just keep moving on and uh, and uh, lead our group. And everyone so. seems to tell me that he has some real natural leadership ability, right? Like people want to follow him just yeah, because of his would, personality. I would just say, yeah, his personality, like his, uh, his energy, the energy he brings, uh, and you can kind of say the Jersey, uh, the Jersey boy, <laughs> but, uh, no, it, it, it's great, uh, having him out there. What are some of the things that in your game right now that, that you either been really happy with and some of the things that maybe you're still trying to work on a little bit and, and really get better at week in, week out? Yeah, honestly, uh, I just say my mindset right now is uh, just con- continue to develop in the, the little details. Um, continue to uh, keep getting smarter each and every week. Uh, study a little bit more and um, uh, really hone in on those little details. Uh, if it's uh, your aiming point uh, on a fir- on a D lineman, or if it's your hand placement, climbing to the second level, just little things here and there. Um, so it could be like your timing of your punch too, uh, when you're in pass pro. So just, just those little things, uh, you, you just, I, I kind of look at it as like, you're, you're never, uh, 
going to be perfect. You're, you're still like there's steps to it, but when you get there, I mean, it's still not there. You can always get better. So yeah, I know how much you love to play and how much you've been trying to get better and improve. How frustrating was it when you had to take that step back for, I guess, almost a month, right? Like where you couldn't be out there and playing with your guys. Yeah. Um, it was hard. It, it was, it was hard, but, um, I did, a, I did, um, uh, just everything I could just, uh, to help the team out and, uh, in any way I could. Uh, but right now I'm just happy to be back and, uh, competing along with my brothers out there and, uh, get, let's get things turned around. Now I had this written down. It's not in front of me. You missed the first game against Washington, correct? Or, or did you correct. play in that game? Yeah. I so did. what, what have they told you about Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen and kind of how they use them and what the challenge is those two guys are going to be blocking them on Sunday? Yeah. I mean, you, you talk about some great D tackles, um, just, uh, just how they play their, 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 their strength, uh, the size, their speed, uh, the way they use their hands. I mean, it's uh, very they, – they can be very disruptive uh, in the run game and, and in the pass game. So we got to be ready and locked in on our details. Now, you guys have, have run the ball pretty well as a group. Last week, obviously, the game got away from you a little bit. Struggled in the first half, running it. Second half was a lot better. But then it's hard to stick with it when you're down big, right? What does your group have to do to kind of get back to that run game this week against Washington to try to give Tommy some help and, you know, set up some play action to take some shot plays down the field? I think our mindset this week is we gotta start fast. We gotta we gotta come out the gate swinging. We gotta uh, just have that mindset. We gotta set the tone right from the start. And um, if it's run game, if it's pass game, whatever's called, we gotta go and attack it at the end of the day. And we gotta get going. What have you done for fun in New York since you've been here? Has it been all football, or, or have you managed to kind of get out and like enjoy a little bit of New York City? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I'd say pretty much all football, um, a little bit, a little bit here and there. Um, I go out to dinner once, uh, a couple times in the city, and um, just enjoy it with my fiance uh, and family. So uh, for the most part, uh, got a lot of grind. Have you had like a cool final question? Cool like New York moment, like event in the city, game, a play, you know, an event, something you did around here that you're like, all right, well, this is this is this is the big city. This is New York. This is pretty awesome. Uh, can you say that again? I really no. That's uh, fine. Yeah. yeah. Is has there been like one big event, something you've done, like a play, a game, something you've gone to where it's been like, all right, well, this is like this is New York. This is the big city. This is what kind of everyone told me about when I got here. Yeah. Um, I think uh, what I wanted to do the first uh, time I got here was uh, with my family was go see the nine eleven memorial um, and just pay my respects and um, especially being at an age that I really really didn't know. Uh, what really happened and uh, just to know the history of it and the amount of stories there there was and um, just just was a, a sad time in our country so just wanted to pay our respects no absolutely John we appreciate the time man thank you so much we appreciate it best of luck on Sunday thank you you're ready for a change payday comes early with citizens so go to that retreat new you moves to the country now you're raising goats and launching a lifestyle brand are you ready for all that life brings that's John Michael Schmitz. The Giants Huddle is brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the New York Giants. From game day to everyday, Citizens is made ready for Giants fans with insights, guidance, and solutions. Learn more at citizensbank.com. We thank John Michael Schmitz. Now let's head on to the beat reporter for ESPN that covers the Washington Commanders, John Keim. He's with Lance Meadow to give some really good insight as to the Giants opponent this week.
Giants wrap up their season with the Commanders this Sunday at FedEx Field in Landover, Maryland, as both teams square off for the second time in five weeks. Big Blue took the first meeting 14-7 at MetLife Stadium in Week 7. And to help break down Washington, what's changed since that last matchup, we're now joined by a man who covers the team for ESPN, none other than NFL Nation reporter John Kime. John, you got Lance Meadow here on Giants.com. Hope all is well. Appreciate the time. How's everything on your end? Uh, it's, it's going okay. Weather's good. Can't complain. Well, John, I want to start with the biggest storyline from the first matchup, and that, as you can attest to, was clearly playing the trenches with Sam Howell being sacked six times, the Giants recording 12 quarterback hits. Since then, Washington has made some changes to the offensive line. Chris Paul's now at left guard, veteran Tyler Larson's at center. So how has that changed at all the dynamics of the pass protection up front? Well, it's there. that's a part of why Howell's only been sacked seven times the last three games. Part of it is the Giants do different things than everybody else. And, you know, with Wink Martindale, they always talk about how the difference with him and other coordinators is he's going to do, he's going to do stuff regardless of the downer situation. So I think like that part of it led to the issues in that game. So part of the success lately has been changes in the line, Tyler Larson, instead of Nick Gates, former giant. And the big thing there has been that, Tyler Larson is about 30 pounds heavier than Gates. When they signed Gates, it was as much for his athleticism. And I think they thought they'd be doing a lot of stuff on the move and um, getting him out in space to block on screens, et cetera. And that hasn't really developed that way. So they, and there was getting, they were getting too much push inside, especially in that game against the Giants. So that Larson has helped in that area. I also think in that Giants game, they felt like the protection calls weren't good. And that falls on that falls in large part on the center, some on the quarterback, but some some on the center. So I think it's as much been the Larson change. And Paul is also a very strong guy. He's in for Sadiq Charles, who got hurt. And so that's why he's in there, whereas the other one was a, a flat benching. Now, Giants fans are familiar with Nick Gates because he spent a lot of time here and a lot of Giants fans were a little bit disappointed. I think it's fair to say when he left, because as you know, he's a tough guy and he's the yeah. heart and soul of the locker room. So, John, what's gone wrong? With Nick Gates this season. Yeah, you know, what I what I can say is that he just he was giving up a lot of ground inside. And I think when you have a young quarterback in Sam Howell who is still learning the NFL and learning to process his reads at a certain pace, you can't give up that ground inside. And he's also a shorter quarterback, six foot one. So when you're getting that, and it wasn't just Nick Gates, but like his issue was some of that, definitely. And when you're giving up that ground, Howell was having a lot of times throwing guys in his lap as he's throwing the ball. So it's going to hurt your ability to see, et cetera. And so like they always talk about like a Drew Brees model in, in, in New Orleans where the interior for New Orleans was very strong, probably even stronger than the tackles because you need to give that guy some room to see and throw. And that was one thing they weren't getting with Gates. It, it's that. So I think, like I said, his athleticism is 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 a strength but what they needed was the muscle to to if because here's the other thing they're throwing like almost 70 percent of the time lately so if that's the case then you're going to need a stronger interior so i think that it all adds up to that but you're right like when nick gates this summer the narrative for him was exactly like you said adding toughness some experience and then also i think there was there was thought by the coaches i know that he also kind of added an, an attitude 
And, you know, he's not going to put up with stuff. I mean, you see that all the time. I'm sure you saw it in New York. Like, if there's a pile and there's something going on, he's going to be over there doing something because that's who he is. But they like that he kind of that mentality flowed down. But it was just the muscle inside, I think, was the big issue. You alluded to this. Sam Howell's leading the NFL in passing yards. And that's to your point about them throwing 70% of the time, which is impressive, John, considering he's been sacked, he's been hit, he's been pressured more so than any other quarterback. Now, as you mentioned, the numbers have improved over the last three weeks. But I think of other rookie quarterbacks. David Carr comes to mind, if you recall, when he was with the Houston Texans. It mentally can wear on a QB. So with that being said, how has Howell handled things with respect to all the pressure he's been under? And what does that say about him? He's handled it in a tremendous way. And I actually wrote a story about this for ESPN.com yesterday uh, or Wednesday. Yeah. So just going, talking about the issues with the sacks and then the impact of them. Is there an impact? And one of the things I think that's been most impressive is that, first of all, one of the things he told me was that he would get, he used to run the ball like 20 or 30 times a game, whether in high school or college. And he said that that's when he felt really bad. He goes, after NFL games, he feels great. And so, and you see him, and that's the, that's the invincibility of youth, right? And so that's part of it um, that you have that. So I think, but it, but the point is it hasn't, he's not getting worn down at this stage and uh, He's not like well, the other thing, like I talked to guys like Kurt Warner, Dan Olowski about like, what are you seeing from him from a quarterback's perspective? Are you, you know, is he dropping his eyes? Well, he's really not. That's an, that's, a, you know, so he's handling that very well. I think other quarterbacks that I've covered who are young sometimes get impacted in that way. They get jittery feet. I don't think that's happened with him. And the, the impressive thing, Lance, is that he, he's, he's improved over the last three weeks, only seven sacks. And part of it is, again, part of it is I think teams are facing not having the same kind of pass rush um, or doing the same things to confuse them. So, but he's getting rid of the ball faster. And and I think because the stoutness of the interior is better, then it, it creates a little bit more gaps for him to maneuver when there is pressure. Before you think, oh, there might be a gap, but there's too much push inside and the gap is more narrow and he tries to get out and he's getting tripped up. So I think, so that's, that's where it's all playing together, but it hasn't impacted him in a negative way. And that was because even one of the coaches said they talked to him earlier this year, just to like, after one game, maybe after the giants, like, how are you holding up? And he's like, he was fine. So that, and I think that mentality is why they feel really good about his future. But I think they all know that you cannot, you cannot survive in this league with a high sack rate like he was in the first seven games, regardless of who's at fault, you can't survive that way. And so lately it's been far, far better. Yeah. Andrew Luck with the Colts is probably the best example. As you well know, he retired early and even Daniel Jones here with the giants has taken his fair share of hits. So I'm with and you. Jones, and, and not to, I'm sorry to cut you off, but like, oh, that's a, a good point. Cause like Jones's sack percentage was around 14% this year. That's obscenely high. And whereas Howell's is like a 10.4%. But when you look at it, and our analytics department broke this down, like of quarterbacks who have had in their first couple of years who have a sack rate in that range, it's all guys who don't last. I mean, you don't have a prominent name there, prominent name, like Andrew Luck, all those guys, his sack percentage was still actually pretty low. He just got hit a lot and, and he might deliver the ball, but he'd get hit a lot and the injuries mounted for him. We all know that. And that's why he retired. But the sack percentage was lower, whereas Howells was pretty high. So it was not only just getting hit, 
it was also the losing of the yards and impacting the offense that way. But Jones's was high this year. It was, it was, it was really bad. Oh, absolutely. And they've yeah. had so many different you combinations. Yeah, 100%. They've had so many combinations on the offensive line, and that also right. was a contributing factor. As right. we're talking with John Kime, who covers the commanders for ESPN. You mentioned, John, he's getting rid of the football quickly. He's also done a really good job spreading the wealth. Six players with 250-plus receiving yards, so you can't necessarily focus on one guy. But one of the players I want to highlight, Brian Robinson, their running back. Mm. Eight scrimmage touchdowns, had a monster game against Seattle. How much is his improved involvement or volume a product of Howell getting rid of the football, or is that part of the design with Eric Bieniemy going back to what we saw with running backs in Kansas City? The other day, Robinson and Antonio Gibson, their other running back, combined for 11 catches. I would say of those 11, three, maybe four were design plays. So they will throw screens to them, but it, like two, Robinson had a 51-yard touchdown pass and a 48-yard reception. Both resulted from Howell scrambles. And, and keeping his eyes downfield and then Robinson getting finding an open spot along the sidelines and the guys covering him would have to come up because they know how can run and they come up and then boom, just a little slot. It, it's a little sidearm fling. Like you're a shortstop flipping the ball, to second base, you know, for, you know, and so that's what, he, so it's a combination of, of Howell's ability to keep plays alive and keeping his eyes downfield Robinson's ability um, just to get open, but he has really good hands and, they do because they don't run the ball. You don't see a lot of rhythm in the run game, but in the pass game, I feel like he's a strong weapon. There were a couple of times where he runs like, you know, one of those choice routes out of the backfield and he just dusts a linebacker uh, against Seattle. And he's capable of that. He has good hands. And so does Antonio Gibson. So I, I would think you'd want to keep getting those guys involved in that. And their mentality with the offense is like, these are extended handoffs and all that. That's fine. But those guys can make plays in the open field. And Robinson is a really tough runner as well. And so they will get him in on design screens, but they also, when the play breaks down, he's he, um, how will look for him. So it's a combination. Yeah, yardage after the catch. I mean, John, at the end yeah. of the day, does it matter if he gets five yards on the ground or he gets five yards through the air and then maybe gains more? They're really moving the ball. up all the same. Right. They're moving the ball. And like the, against New England a couple of weeks ago, they threw the ball a ton. They didn't run the ball very well. They controlled the ball for 37 minutes. So, you know, like there is now I will say against Seattle, they get into lulls. And we saw this in New York in the first game, they get into a lull when they can't throw and then you're getting sacked and you're getting really far behind the chains. The inability to run hurts them in those situations because there's nothing else to go to. And they, to be honest, Lance, like even the summer in the spring, you we'd watch practice. I'm like, they don't put, they, they barely worked on the run game. And, and you started to see it like in some of the inside run drills in the summer and all that. But the, the emphasis, the huge emphasis was on the pass game. And so you see the lack of rhythm in the run game overall. They're just not very good at it or they haven't been. Um, and I, so I think in those low pairs, like in the second half against Seattle, they started getting going because they had a couple of drives where they ran the ball. And Pete Carroll even said that it kind of started to cause them some confusion later on defense. They weren't sure what to expect and they got back into a rhythm. So they need to be able to do that. But, um, you know, it's just, it's, it hasn't been part of their DNA this year at all. And it's funny because Biennemi is a former running back, but he's an Andy Reid disciple. And we know that Andy Reid likes to throw the ball.
And he clearly has had influence on Eric Bieniemy's scheme here moving forward with Washington. I want to flip the script to the defensive side of the ball. We talked about the trenches on offense, John. The other noticeable change since these last two teams met is the flip of the script and the fact that Chase Young and Montez Sweat are no longer part of the pass rush traded before week nine. So James Smith-Williams and Casey Tuhill are the guys that have had opportunities to step up. And as we're recording this, James Smith-Williams is on the injury report with right. a hamstring issue. So a two-parter for you. Why has the sack production dipped since those two have been traded? Is it so simple to say, okay, you removed obviously two quality players, or is it a factor in those two guys that I named are not nearly drawing the same level of attention and putting up the same production as the two guys that they're trying to replace? Well, I think it's all of it. So let's look. The first game they played without them was New England, and Mac Jones was, I think, Mac, it was like a hot potato from the ball was a hot potato for Mac Jones. It, that week, he his average pass time was like two point three seconds. That's that's really 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 fast. So they weren't getting pressure on him in part because as now I do know that you know some people here feel, feel like, felt like if they had Montez Sweat that they they run away against New England and that they beat Seattle. And I say Montez Sweat because it's that was the name that people would say. And so I, I with you had two like Chase Young. Monte, well, I'm going to start with Montez Sweat. So Montez Sweat was having a good year. He's not. He's never been a double-digit sack guy, but he's a very good defensive end. He can play the run. He's a. He's an impressive athlete. And his his thing was he didn't finish all the time, but he was doing a better job this year with that and a little bit more consistent in the pass rush. That's a. He was a big loss because he's a quality quality defensive end, and they did get a high second round pick for him. It's not gonna. It may not help this staff because they may not be here to enjoy that high second round pick. Right. Chase Young was a little, was a lot more of a freelancer and doing his own thing. But you know, we saw in that first game against 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 Justin Pugh. You know, not he's out of position there. He got two sacks against him, but he can still pressure the guy. He just freelanced a lot, and there were times that Tyrod Taylor would get outside the pocket in that first game because of Chase Young doing something that they, he wasn't supposed to do in that play. But he was still an effective pass rusher. So you take those two guys out and there's going to be a negative impact. Now, a couple of years ago, they played without Chase Young and Montez Sweat for six games. They were both hurt and they went four and two of those games and the defense had a, a huge improvement overall. But the part of the improvement stemmed from Lance that the secondary was playing better. They're not playing well now, way too many mistakes. And they manufactured more pressures through creative, um, maybe I say they creative blitzes, just blitzes and just and a few more creative things on third down. They haven't been doing that. And for whatever reason. And so I think those things add up as well. Like you can't take if you take those guys away, you better have other uh, other things behind them that can compensate. And they did then. And the other part of that is the defensive tackles, Deron Payne and John Allen, whom they paid the big money have not been productive at all. And they're not making the game change, the, the the big plays, the impact plays that they made last year and the year before. That is a big factor as well. And it's not just because, oh, they're getting double teamed because these guys aren't there. Uh, because like Casey Tuhill is a pretty good athlete. Smith Williams is not a pass rusher, really. He's as much an end as just a, a an edge setter. Um, but they're not getting, you know, it's not just because those guys are out there that the tackles, the tackles weren't doing anything with those guys in there either. Not enough. 
So I think it, I think it's, it's, it's all the defense has just been bad. And, and, and the big plays allowed are a function of that. And the secondary is a huge part of that. And so like they, they don't have enough to compensate for losing two guys who could actually rush the passer. I'm glad you hit on the explosive plays because I want our listeners to understand. I mean, these numbers jump off the page, John, and for not very good reason. In NFL worst, 685 yards, eight touchdowns allowed on throws of 20-plus air yards. Now, the flip of this is, John, the Giants have not been very explosive, as you know, on offense, and they don't have Tyrod Taylor. They obviously are going to go with the undrafted rookie Tommy DeVito. But if you had to hone in, you mentioned part of that is you're not getting enough of a pass rush up front out of this Washington defense, but they drafted Emmanuel Forbes in the first round. I know he's been in and out of the lineup. They got the veteran Kendall Fuller. Why has this secondary struggled so much? Yeah, that's a good question. And I always go back to like the details of it. And so last year they started playing a zone match coverage scheme and it took them a little bit to get used to it. And the second half of the year, they were really, really good at it. And that's, but that's a detailed situation and knowing when to pass guys off and how to play within that coverage and all that. Well, it hasn't been working as well for them this year. And then they started going to more man coverage, but I don't think they have the corners that can really play that. Like Benjamin St. Juiced will play it, but he's the one like Tyrod Taylor's first big play against Washington last month came, I think it was to Slayton down the right side against St. Juice. And He's had issues in man coverage and he's very, he's aggressive and maybe sometimes too aggressive, but it's, I think, you know, his strength is more, uh, I think playing in the zone match, but that's how they're using them. And Forbes's um, issues have altered their rotation, maybe a cornerback or what they could do because like he has really good skills, but he also has some bad habits from college when you could get away with certain things against lesser quarterbacks and some lesser receivers at times. And I think those, those habits are hurting him now, whether it's with the eyes, some of its footwork, some of its understanding, like you can't bait quarterbacks in the NFL the way you could in college. You have to play to your help, little things like that, that they don't do well. And then, you know, the other thing is, and it's, it's funny because someone was telling this, they mentioned this guy's name the other day is Bobby McCain. He was a veteran with them last year. He's not yeah. a great player. It's not about how good a player he is. He was very smart on the field. And their ability to disguise coverages has gone down, I think, in part because they don't have that guy back there. They have some youth back there at safety. And Percy Butler is a second-year guy and a first-year starter who, who has gotten better. But he's, you know, he's not an elite player by any means, at, certainly not at this point. But I think, you know, so there are things that you can take advantage of offensively and I've seen them just blow coverages um, sometimes again it's because of over aggressiveness details with the eyes or just a miscommunication but I just so it, there and again the inability to really disguise the way I thought they would be able to at the beginning of the year has been a factor as well so perhaps the Giants adding Bobby McCain in the offseason hurt the commanders on the surface yeah, and by taking away a key personnel well, and and like I said, and they were okay because they had some depth at safety and it's, you know, and I don't want to overstate like how good he was, but sure. he was a smart player for them. And, you know, and so when you don't have that, you've got to have someone else who can handle that, not just the physical role, but also like, how do you do this? And how can you communicate this to this guy as to what you're seeing? Those kind of things help. And again, it's not like he wasn't, you know, he, he helped them. But he, he wasn't great, but he was a help. But it was also more, 
his knowledge on the field, I think, helped them in situations. And I don't, and I'm not going to sit here and say like he's the only reason that they're playing poorly. But I think if you want to look at a handful of reasons, I'd put that on the list. Maybe it's a little bit lower because again, guys, certain guys aren't playing well and they didn't develop well. Saying juice mistakes are not because of Bobby McCain. It's because he's not learning enough at times from some of the mistakes. He's a smart player, but he hasn't learned enough from some mistakes because he's repeated some. Uh, Emmanuel Forbes, not because of Bobby McCain. It's because he came in with certain habits that they weren't able to coach out of him enough in the summertime. And But I think in the secondary, the safeties, I think that's where you probably miss him a little bit. And that, you know, so it's one of those factors. If you guys said five, 10 factors, well, I'd put them on the list, but it's not the primary one. Well, I think it's a fair point, sort of an extension of the coaching staff for Jack yeah, yeah, to yeah. get everybody mm-hmm. set. And that's certainly a valid claim. John, before I let you go, I want to go to what has been interesting for the commanders this season. They played eight games decided by one possession. I'm not saying they're equivalent to the Vikings of last year, but as you well know, Minnesota played 11 games, won all 11, and you got to walk that fine line in the NFL. That's the difference between missing and making the playoffs. What do you think has hurt them more in these close affairs? Does it come back to the offense not closing the deal, or would you say it's the defense not sealing things up? Oh, it's well, you know, and it depends on the game. So like last week, the offense comes through with two fourth quarter touchdowns. And it's funny because there's a, there's about 50 some seconds left. Seattle gets the ball back and I'm talking to another reporter and they're like, something about what do you think happens? Like they're going to, they're going to go down. They're going to hit one big play and they're going to kick a field goal at the end to win. Because that's what, because you know how this defense goes. Like, you know, like if you want to be aggressive against them in that situation, you're going to hit a big play probably. Um, So like in, in that game, like, and then, they lost a couple of close games to Philly, but they scored enough to win both games. So I, I, then against the Giants, though, the the defense was horrible in the first half. 200-some yards, 14 points to a banged-up offense. Although the funny thing is, like, some people here were more worried about Tyrod Taylor than Daniel Jones. Um, but in the second half, no points, controlled the game. You only give up 14 points, you should win the game. So, like, I'm going to put that one on the offense because of, you know, just – you, you give up 14, you should win. I don't care or anything else. And, and the offense didn't execute. It was poor, poor, some poor play calling, some poor execution, you know, then, and then, you know, to be honest, like, for example, the bears game, which was a blowout, but they gave up 27 points in the first half. They cut it to 30 to 20. And then the offense missed, like the defense is controlling in the second half and, and the offense misses a deep throw to um term i think it was mclaurin it was or, or dotson the, the, the route was a little bit off and so it disrupts the play it should have been a touchdown it wasn't they missed a field goal there's five minutes left now you're down 10 with five minutes left and the game's over but it was another chance for them where so the defense in the second half did its job and then the offense you know failed when that needed to so it's really a combination but i'm going to put a lot of it on the D because they've just, the defense has been horrible. You knew the offense would take some time to develop this year. New coordinator, young quarterback, four starters at line or four new starters at, along the line. And you know, that takes time and it has, and now they're starting to play better. So the defense needed to be a lot stronger overall to prevent some of those situations. And this time the defense will have to solve Tommy DeVito as opposed to Tyrod Taylor in the second matchup. And your point is well taken about the offense because 
if it wasn't for the muff punt by Sterling Shepard, who knows if the commanders even right. had points on the board because it was Good an point. extremely yep. short field. They had trouble punching in, having to go maybe 80 to 90 yards. He is John Kime. He covers the commanders for ESPN, NFL Nation reporter. John, can't thank you enough. Always great catching up with you. Appreciate the insight and look forward to the game. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You got it. You love turf. You're good at it. So you start a turf biz. Business grows. Your savings grow. Become the most celebrated name in turf. Are you ready for all that life brings? That's John Kime. Giants fans love a winner. It's why they love Citizens, named a 2022 Best Bank in the U.S. by The Banker. As the official bank of the Giants and sponsor of the huddle, Citizens is made ready for fans of Big Blue. Learn more at citizensbank.com. Now we wrap it up with our normal cleanup hitter, the head coach of the Giants, Brian Dable, who's with Bob Papa. Giants take on the Washington Commanders. Giants beat the Commanders a couple weeks ago over at MetLife Stadium. As always, we're joined by the head coach of the New York Giants, Brian Dable. And coach, uh, obviously, as you come into this game this week, having played Washington a few weeks earlier, do you expect a lot of changes or can teams, or is it too hard for teams to change a lot in a short period of time? Yeah, I think, you know, Washington's evolved over here the past few weeks. Um, Particularly in the passing game, obviously they throw the football out, but they're doing a good job of getting it out using quick screens, screens, three-step drops. And then they are able to attack the field vertically, uh, particularly when you get in the fringe. And, you know, I'm sure we'll see some downfield shots relative to, you know, what transpired last week against Dallas. So, um, you know, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, we'll have to be ready to go. And then offensively, they have some new players in there. We have some new players. You know, there'll be a different quarterback, a different tight end, a different line combination. So, uh, different matchups throughout the game. I want to ask you first about Sam Howell, who coming into this weekend actually leads the NFL in passing yardage. He's had three consecutive 300-yard passing games. Um, Coach, you know, it seems like I know he's been sacked a lot, but it feels like, you know, his decision-making is evolving a little bit more and more, and he's using the running backs. I don't know if Gibson's going to play. He's got a toe injury, but Robinson not only handed it off to him, but also using him in the passing game. Yeah, and then some of those were scrambled rule, scramble plays where, you know, he had a three-step play, he escaped out to his left. Brian did a good job of going down the sideline. He found him there. Um, he's doing a good job of extending plays and keeping his eyes downfield and giving those guys opportunities. And then, you know, they have good skill players. Uh, obviously, we know McLaurin, uh, but Samuel and Dotson, and, you know, they're a pass-first team. So uh, they throw the ball often, um, and he's done a good job. So let's go to the other side of the ledger. When you look at them defensively, the last time you played them, they had Montez Sweat and Chase Young. Those guys had a combined 11 sacks when they got rid of those guys. Uh, so their their pass rush is not the same as configured. Have you noticed, are they trying to blitz more since they lost those guys, or are they kind of doing the same thing and just hoping that other guys can step up and make up for that production that's out? Yeah, I think Coach Del Rio does a good job of mixing things up. You know, we got a steady amount of pressure, and, some man-to-man coverage, and, you know, they play their quarters or two Tampa, and, you know, he does a good job of keeping you off balance. Those guys play extremely hard. They're talented players, uh, and the two inside players create issues um, really for everybody else on that defense. When you look at explosive plays, Coach, defensively, they've given up 19 pass plays of over 30 yards. I think seven of them have been 50-plusers against them. Is it too simplistic to just say, oh, man, we got to just take shots? You ha- Or is it more like, you know, we got to build throughout the course of the game the opportunities to then take those shots. 
Yeah, I think it'd be important how we execute on first down, whether that's you know the run game, the the quick pass drop back game, the play action game, and try to keep them off balance um, in terms of how we call the game, uh, so they have to defend the entire field. I want to ask you about Tommy DeVito, who uh, obviously made his first start last week, and you didn't get the results you were looking for as a team and the production that you were looking for as a group. But when you start went back and looked at the tape. What were some of the positive things that you saw that he brought to the table in this game that encouraged you moving forward heading into this week? Yeah, tough start, obviously, on on the road at Dallas. You know, two series to start out and backed up. But I thought he settled in, had a a few good drives, made good decisions, um, you know, went for the deep ball again to to high it, and they'd made a nice play on the the football. But uh, competed all the way through, and we'll just try to keep improving him. Um, the confidence level of the team, obviously when you come off a game like you came last week, you know, fans, they're in the tank like the entire week. Can you share with the audience a little bit what it's like as a coach and as a player to not go into that fan tank and just kind of keep things business as usual? Yeah, try to be consistent with our approach, um, which is, you know, you have some wins last year and you stay consistent. It's never as, as good as you think when you win. Um, certainly you have to be a lot better. Um, don't want the results that we have. Uh, 24-hour rule, we're, you know, for, for 24 hours, it's, it's tough sledding. Um, you know, you put a lot into this. You work extremely hard, and, you know, you're looking to get the results uh, that everybody wants. Uh, but then you have to move on. There's a, there's a next game, and you have to get your mind right in terms of your preparation for, in this case, it was Washington, um, so that you can put your best product on the field for that particular week. And finally, Coach, um you know, just from your own perspective, is, is that something that, you know, you're, you tend to be a very upbeat guy in and around the building. Have you had to make, have you had to make a conscious effort <clears throat> to make sure that you project that same image throughout the course of the building so that everybody can kind of feed off that positivity and, and show that consistency not only to your football team but everybody that works in the building that there's that, confidence and hey coach Dable hasn't changed one bit whether it's a win or a loss sure and that's you know that's what I pride myself on is is consistency uh, you know don't accept the the results uh, do everything you can do to try to improve those but um, there's a process that we go through and our, our preparation is important um, how you are around the building is is important um, you know I have confidence in the people in our building and uh, certainly disappointed with the results Uh, but focused on improving those, and um, I think that's the job of a leader. Coach, we appreciate the time. As always, best of luck this afternoon. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate you. We thank all of our guests for joining us on the John Settle Podcast, Brian Dable and Bob Papa, Lance Meadow and John Keim, and then, of course, John Michael Schmitz, who joined me to kick off today's episode. Great conversation. Thanks for being with us. It's all brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the Giants. We'll see you next time on the John Settle Podcast. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. 
that's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. 